Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Wastelanders, Vault Dwellers, welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm here today doing a little bit of a different kind of episode than I've been doing lately. Uh, I thought I would change it up because I've noticed some conversations out in the community about certain topics and how the series will move forward in future Fallout games. Now, some of these topics are around things like uh, one that comes to mind specifically is super mutants and how there was a I believe there was a conversation that I noticed that was started on Reddit, but I've seen echoes of it in other places as well. I think they they were even discussing it on the discord. Um, and the concept was that every Fallout has super mutants. Oh, maybe this was one of those articles on like game rant or something like that. That's just has one of those dumb clickbait titles or whatever. I think this might might have been something like that. Like the the Fallout games have been overusing super mutants and it's time for something else. Or super mutants are drawing the attention away from other stuff. And this has echoed around in the community. And so people have said things like, well, maybe that's true. Maybe on the next Fallout, when Fallout 5 comes out, Maybe we shouldn't have super mutants and they've justified it as well. They were clearly shoehorned into Fallout 4. They didn't necessarily have to be there. And we've seen them show up in the series and other places. Fallout 76, we have a justification for them as well. And uh, maybe it's time for something else. So as usual, this has been running around in my brain as things like this typically do and I've been looking at it from a different perspective or at least trying to see it from multiple different perspectives there's the perspective that the argument is coming from and they've got a point there and then there's the perspective of other gamers and the things that other people have replied with then there's the perspective of the studio and the people developing these games and trying to meet the expectations of the public in order to create a good game and continuous series. And then there's the artistic like writer's perspective, I guess you could say. When you when you have a concept, there are certain things you build into that concept. When you design a world, when you design a series, there are certain elements that have to work in that series for it to still feel like part of the series. There are I guess you could you could use an analogy like this. There are major pillars of every IP that identify it as that IP. So every story, every game, every movie series or TV show or whatever has certain elements in it that define it as such. And without some of those elements, it no longer feels like what's actually there. So in today's episode, I'm going to go over the six different pillars. These are six things that every Fallout game will always have. And I could be wrong here, but I find these six things to at least be foundational pillars. Now, let me give you some examples of some other IPs or stories or movies or whatever, and some of the pillars for them. So for example, you take a game series like Call of Duty, right? Call of Duty will always be focused on military. 
and Western military at that against some other adversary. It will always have divisive moral decisions that are made during the actual story campaign of the game. And it will always have really cool tech. Now, sometimes that's old tech, like World War II, and sometimes it's new tech or soon to be actual real world tech, things that are kind of out there on the periphery of the, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this landscape of technology? Those are pillars for Call of Duty. I'm sure you could come up with some others as well, but I think that you're never going to get a Call of Duty that, that doesn't have some of those in it. Star Wars, for example, is always going to have space magic. <laughs> There's always going to be the Force. There's always going to be lightsabers. There's always going to be planets with single biomes, <laughs> right? Like this is this is a these are foundational things to the way Star Wars works. Uh, Elder Scrolls, you're always going to have a setting in Tamriel. You're going to go to the other places. They're going to be you're going to travel to places like realms of oblivion, but it's always going to be in Tamriel. There are always going to be Daedric princes messing stuff up and there's always going to be weird magic like shouts or tonal architecture or sword singing. There's always going to be something like that going on. And of course, there's always going to be racism because all the races don't get along. These are foundational themes to Elder Scrolls. One more for you. The foundational themes for The Legend of Zelda is you are always going to have childlike characters. So whether that's teen Link in Zelda or little kid Link in Zelda or almost adult Link in Zelda, but not quite, they're always going to look like kid avatars because these games are designed around young people, teenagers, tweens, even younger, being able to play these and kind of self-identify as the hero. They're always going to have the Triforce or some variation on the Triforce and the kind of magic that that imbues and the, the rule of three, all of that stuff. And they're always going to be animated at like, you know, 720p and 30 frames per second. <clears throat> Thanks, Switch. Um, I hope everybody takes that as a joke and I don't get uh, hate mail. Um, but here we go. Let's dive into the fundamental pillars of Fallout. Now, just to remind you, these are things that have been in all of the games, and I don't think we will ever get a game that doesn't have these in it. So first of all, let's talk about the super mutants. Let's just start it off with super mutants. Super mutants are going to be in every game ever. They just are. They are foundational to the identity of the franchise. You have super mutants. You have a number of other things we're going to get into as well. And it doesn't seem to matter that you can justify that, well, certain super mutants would have died off because they have a hard time reproducing or there's only a limited supply of FEV or whatever. You go far enough further in time in the future and it, less and less of them are going to be around. They eventually get eradicated by the Brotherhood. There's lots of ways that you could picture super mutants eventually dying off and no longer being part of the world of Fallout. But that's never going to happen because they are foundational. The image of a Brotherhood of Steel soldier in power armor fighting a super mutant is one of the most foundational pictures you can think of when you think of Fallout. When you look at the box art from the original games, when you look at the screenshots from original games, when you look at the storylines built around mutations and super mutants and all of that, and the themes, the themes that we as humanity pushed science too far and were now punished by some of us becoming super mutants. 
these themes are foundational to the series. Now, let me give a disclaimer right here, because I probably should have done this at the beginning of the episode. But just because I'm saying that this is most likely the way things will happen and will continue into the future of the franchise doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way I want it to be. It doesn't mean I'm rooting for it. It doesn't mean that I think it it would be better if it did or didn't. There's no judgment call here. I'm simply relaying the nature of the series and the foundational pillars and the things that I believe the designers would shy away from changing because it makes Fallout no longer really feel like Fallout. So super mutants are one of them. They're the first one. Now the second one here, and this one comes up a number of times as well. I've seen this debated on our Discord and other locations. The United States of America. We will never have a Fallout game where the primary location of the game is not located in the United States of America or a region that the United States of America was in control over, if that makes sense. I don't think we will ever get a Fallout China. That would be amazing. We would see lots of things about the way the war happened on that side of the conflict. We will only get mainstream Fallout games set in the United States. And in specific types of major city areas or regions. So, for example, Las Vegas, major city, uh, D.C., major city, uh, Appalachia, major interesting region. The first few Fallout games were based on the West Coast in California and parts of Nevada and places like that. General interesting Western region, right? Very cowboy-esque, but that's that makes sense for that area. Now, that's not to say that we won't get a Fallout that goes to other places through some of the expansions or even some of the stories that occur in the game that transport our characters to other locations. That could happen, but those will always be secondary. The main locations will always be in the United States. Now, why is that? Because the theme of Fallout is the failure of capitalism. It is post-capitalist. It is the haves have gotten too much and the have-nots are suffering. And this expands across the world. And part of this is due to the failure of governments. And part of this is due to the failure of capitalism. Now, does that mean all capitalism is bad? No. What this The lesson from Fallout is that rampant, uncontrolled capitalism is bad. Because eventually the powerful become so powerful and the the people without become so weak that there's no balance and the powerful make really crazy, terrible decisions that eventually destroy the world and destroy nature and all of these things. Now, I know the Internet. I'm going to get a uh, response to this episode. I'm going to get a review. I'm going to get a comment. Somebody's going to say, well, keep keep politics out of fallout. If you haven't been paying attention to the series, if you have not been listening to the show, if you have not been playing through the games with an eye to the stories and the way the stories have been written and the nature of the world before the bombs dropped and all of that, all of the breadcrumbs lead to this conclusion. This is the main theme of the series. This is it. Like, this isn't a surprise. This isn't something I'm injecting into the game in order to make some sort of political comments. This is just the nature of the story of the game. That's it. 
So I hope that's clearly understood. So here, let's continue on with this theme of the United States and uh, post-capitalism and all of that, because the third main pillar, I think, is Nuka-Cola. Nuka-Cola represents something that is inherently part of the United States. It is a stand-in for Coca-Cola, but combined with Nuke, Nuka-Cola, which is based around the concept of the world using nuclear power and the combination of those two things in a beverage that we drink and put in our bodies. Have you considered this? Now, it gets more severe with drinks like Quantum, but even just the name, Nuka-Cola, this idea that something like nuclear bombs or nuclear energy would be powering a drink, even just from the marketing side, maybe not even physically, but from the marketing side of it, is disturbing. <laughs> it shows the interest of the population and the fact that the population didn't find that to be a revolting idea, that that was actually a beneficial idea. Oh, Nuka-Cola? Nuclear-powered soft drinks? That sounds great. And the idea that this organization was working in this capitalist system and was growing, the idea that we would even want to, and I love soda, but the idea that we would even want to put something 100% synthetically created in our bodies and treat that like it's somehow nutritious or a good idea is crazy. It only comes about in a capitalist system, right? And again, I'm not I'm not I'm not pushing a specific agenda that I have. I'm looking at the evidence of the series and explaining it how it is. So this ties back directly to the United States in a very direct method. Nuka-Cola is something that will always be incorporated. Now go back and listen to the episodes where I talk about Nuka Girl and some of the imagery that was used. All of that goes back to Hollywood's heyday and the kinds of women and icons that were being put in front of people's eyes in the American Hollywood heyday. These attractive blonde women with bare midriffs and, and all of these things that we as white Americans find appealing in a, a character that's going to sell us a soft drink. This is very capitalist America and it's, it's consolidated all into one beverage. So this, because it matches the same theme of these locations being in the United States, is going to be a part of the series as a pillar. All right, so those are the first three. We've got Super Mutants, the United States, and Nuka-Cola. We will continue with the next three when we get back from this quick break to go thank our patrons. All right, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. 
and it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore to learn more. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons. And thank you to all of you. We don't have any new patrons this week, but we do have SentryBots, our tier five patrons that get shouted out every week. That includes Cooper, Germinator, Larry D, Mark C, Sky R. Thank you so much for your support. And thank you for being here. And to all 88 of our current patrons, thank you so very much. And um, if you're interested in checking out the Patreon, go to patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Pretty easy to get to. And you can look at all the different shirts you can get, ad-free episodes, bonus content. Uh, uh, some of the old episodes actually had extra content when like Lainey and I were, were chatting, where we'd go on a little bit longer or earlier with the live chat people. Uh, lots of stuff on there. So go check it out. And also, if you are interested in helping to support the show in other ways, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Five-star reviews will get read out on future episodes of the show. And we don't have any new ones this week of those either, but that means it's time to get another one in because we'll read it next week when I get a chance to do so. So thank you to everybody for your support. Also, if you're listening on Spotify, you can give us a five-star rating over there. You can also comment on the things you liked about the most recent episodes. So thanks to everybody. Let's move on with the rest of the show. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right, back to the topic at hand. We've got super mutants, the United States and Nuka Cola. Let's talk about power armor. This is number four. Power armor. Power armor will always be part of the games. And I can see the arguments now for why that shouldn't be the case or could possibly not be the case. The idea that power armor is a very limited thing. I mean, there's only so much of it that was made before the bombs dropped and remaking the power armor would be very difficult. But we've seen where people have repurposed the different parts. Raiders have built their own power armor and Outside of the case from inside the game, this is as iconic as Super Mutants, if not more so. The faces on the original box art have always been troops in power armor. This is part of that world. And it's also part of 
the, the, the themes that go with the game. Now, we talked about the United States and the uh, turning nature on its head, like this idea that we were using technology to suppress nature and the world around us and how that kind of bit us in the butt, right? Like this idea that nature gets mutated and then attacks us back. Well, power armor is an amazing example of one of the ways that humanity has done that. Now, of course, it's used in war. It's supposed to be like a walking tank. And there are analogs to other series that have given similar concepts to to the, the kinds of uh, equipment and tools that soldiers would use. But on its basic surface, it is a structure that separates you 100% from your environment and protects the person inside from anything that would be coming up against them. And ironically, that goes from being used in war against other people to being used in the wasteland to survive against natural dangers like mutant creatures and death claws or super mutants or radiation. So this very thing that came out of the pre-war world is a remnant of it and is somehow still needed to deal with the remnants of that pre-world pre-war world. That's words are hard, guys. Um, does that make sense? So it is iconic and you could explain why it would go away, but I don't think it will ever 100% go away. Just like the Brotherhood of Steel. Now, I haven't listed them as a pillar. You could argue that they are a pillar of the series that they will continue to come back in different forms. But there's something about that ideology and the concept of bringing people back in time to a more feudalistic mindset and the need to band together and the fear of technology getting in the wrong hands. All of these things are foundational. So you could make an argument for the Brotherhood of Steel as well. But we'll just call that the plus one. That was not my original list, but we'll call it the plus one. So we've got power, power armor and uh, maybe the Brotherhood of Steel. All right, let's move on. To number five, vaults. We will always have vaults in Fallout. Now, this goes back to the United States a bit. If we have a series that is always in the United States, then there may always be room for us to find another vault at another location wherever we go, especially if it's a major city. Um, but if even if we got into the wilderness somewhere, there's going to be vaults. Now, we don't necessarily know if they're always going to be vault tech vaults. They probably will. But there were other organizations out there prepping for the end times. Maybe we'll see some vaults from other organizations. But I think primarily we will continue to see vault tech vaults. This is for a few reasons. First of all, it fits the theme. It fits the, the main concept that has been put forth in all of these games. The protagonist almost 100% of the time not always but most of the time is a vault dweller the ties of vault tech to the enclave to the american government are very clear and very interesting and will continue to be interesting the idea that you could keep coming up with interesting kinds of tests and studies to do in vaults that could be horrifying and yet open up new plot lines and new stories and give us even greater insight into the kinds of things they were trying to explore before moving to space flight or whatever. Uh, that's also super interesting. But I think the linchpin here is 
you can't have Vault Boy without vaults. Vault Boy is the iconic, symbolic character of the series at this point. He wasn't always, but at this point he is. And to have a Fallout game without Vault Boy seems kind of crazy at this point. I don't think that we're ever going to see that. Vault Boy sells more merchandise from just a like a, a meta kind of a capitalist perspective. Bethesda has to make money with these games in order to continue making more games and paying the people who work on them. So they have to make them sell. Vault Boy actually works really well in the world and also in our world for selling a concept. If you were to put out a Fallout 5 without vaults and without a Vault Boy, people would riot. They would, what is this game? How is it even Fallout anymore? Any of that. There would be huge issues and they definitely wouldn't sell as many copies. All right, let's move on to our final, final pillar, our sixth pillar. A failing humanity. And this is something that I thought deeply about as well, because... It plays into the themes. It plays into the pre-war moving to post-war themes. But I mean this in a few different ways. Humanity is failing at pulling itself back together after the bombs dropped. Even in the games that exist about 200 years after the bombs, people are still struggling. They're having a hard time building anything. They're still building things out of the remnants of the previous civilization. They're not creating new materials very often. They uh, are, are not organizing themselves in a way that actually works. Everybody, everybody on some level has some sort of psychological PTSD or some issue that creates more division. A lot of people are not trusting each other. And then in games like Fallout 4, you have the synths show up and then that seeds even more distrust between people. You have many ideologies, even among a very small population, about how to handle synths or supermutants or whatever. Humanity is not united. They are divided. And that is a main pillar of the game's even before the war, the reason why everybody is fighting over resources during the resource wars, the reason why China and the United States can't get along is because everyone is naturally divided. Everybody has a different ideology. Everybody has a different perspective. Those perspectives don't go together. And there's a limited amount of resources. That same scenario describes the pre-war environment and also the post-war wasteland. It's the same. It's just one of them is global and one of them is local. Those are the only differences. So a humanity that is failing to work together in order to build a better place will always be a theme. And you're going to see that in the division of humanity against itself, in the fact that the majority live in squalor, while the few live in something more than that, whether it's uh, the Brotherhood on the Predwin, or the Institute in their almost perfectly clean environment underground. You have the haves and you have the have-nots. There are a few haves and there are lots of have-nots. It's, again, part of the main theme that plays into these other pillars as well. Now, there's one more reason why I think we will always see a 
failing humanity. And that's because it creates interesting stories. If the majority of humanity were to come together, if, for example, we ended up with a story about the NCR having finally defeated Caesar's Legion and making things work in the wasteland and and the West Coast and coming up with a government system that for the most part functioned, incorporating the Brotherhood of Steel as a beneficial part of their society and not as adversaries. Imagine a scenario where you have something like the return of a U.S. government in a way that actually works and unites the people and they start cleaning up their environment. They start uniting against the terrors of the wasteland. They start to build cities again. They start to actually manufacture their destiny together in a direction That's interesting as I described it to you right now, but unless there's some sort of contrast to that, it's not that interesting. It also doesn't really match human history. It's very rare that we have a society that unites around one concept that is fully united. It almost never happens. There are always dissidents within that community. There are always communities on the periphery. Even if you have a United NCR, you're never going to get rid of the Raider bands. You're never going to get rid of the people who don't want to live under this government and want to be free to make their own choices. It's inherently part of the series. And what about groups like the Enclave who believe that they are just better than everyone else? And so if the NCR represents the commoners coming together with some sort of democratic unity, then people who are of the ideology of the enclave are going to see them as the plebeians, the people who are to be used in order to raise their own station. And so even if there isn't an actual organized enclave anymore, the ideology of that will survive. There's a reason, and everyone's going to be like, Tom's getting political again. There's a reason why there are still people who claim to be Nazis in our world today. And it's because either they're too dumb to realize that the Nazis were terrible, absolutely terrible, and that the means do not justify the ends, and that the system that they designed was going to fall under its own corruption at some point. If you study this enough, those are the facts. And yet, in a world like this, you have the Enclave, which are basically Nazis, and there are people who believe that that's the path forward. So, for the game to actually remain itself, and to actually match real-world inspiration, which it pulls a lot from, the series will never have a humanity that unites together and everything's hunky-dory, that everything's working together. It's never going to work. There's always going to be division. There's always going to be squalor. And now technology may continue to improve. Um, Some of the population may improve the places where they live. You may end up with different locations that are more or less destroyed so that the rebuilding project of those locations works a little bit better. But you're never going to have a fully united humanity. And in a lot of cases, humanity will always be in a desperate situation. So that's the sixth pillar. So we've got super mutants, the United States, Nuka-Cola, power armor, vaults, and a failing humanity. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Let me know and chime in on the Discord. And we'll be back next week where we have a uh, patron episode on Tuesday. What is that? Tuesday, the uh, the 30th. That's the 30th this month. So if you'd like to join us, if you are one of our tier four or higher patrons, or if you'd like to join us and you aren't yet, you've still got time to sign up and we'd love to have you. And we haven't decided on the topic yet, but it'll be decided this week. So feel free to chime in and let us know what you might want to discuss. All right. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful rest of your week and stay safe in the wasteland. I'll see you next time. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.